Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome back, my friends, to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you. So glad that you are tuning in to another podcast as we are exploring the gospel accounts. You know, I've been just so blessed to cover many of these passages, studying, getting them prepared for our podcast. I hope that you're growing in your faith. I hope that you are treasuring this time. And again, I I just encourage you as you're staying faithful and staying committed, I'm so thankful for many of your comments and for many of you guys who are spreading the word. And that's what I encourage you guys to do. And I'm so thankful for many of you who are doing that, that you're taking the time to let your family and your friends know, hey, you want to study the Gospels, you want to get a good perspective, an understanding chronologically of the life of Jesus, you know, take a look uh, at Stand Strong in the Word. Uh, I'm just so thankful for for you guys uh, sharing about what we're doing here on the podcast. So just wanted to give you guys, before we get started, just a big props, a big thank you. Love you guys. Thank you so much. It's been a joy, privilege. We pray here, obviously, on the podcast that this will continue to grow, that more and more Christians, more and more people will fall in love with God's Word, and that they would daily study God's Word and grow in their faith as they do so. So having said that, today we find ourselves in a particular passage that, man, John chapter 3, there's so much in there. And if again, you're here, oh, John chapter 3, John 3, 16. Of course, that, this is the passage that we're going to be covering, and if you know anything about John chapter 3... You know that this is the encountership, probably the one of the most popular encounterships in all of the Gospels with the man Nicodemus himself. So without further ado, let me dive right into John chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 21, and I have entitled this study today as you must be born again. So let's begin reading in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It reads here, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not perceive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him 
may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Man, when you and I read this, it just, it's so amazing. I always picture myself sitting there and, and taking this in and wondering how Nicodemus, you know, is processing this. You know, one, you kind of, you know, imagine as you get into this text, what Nicodemus looked like you know, roughly about the age uh, that he was, uh, you know, in, in this encounter. Remember, this is early on in Jesus' Jesus's ministry. So there's not a lot of miracles that have been done uh, from Jesus. We know the setting that, again, John the Baptist had put forward to the people, the religious people, as well as the Jewish people in general, of who Jesus was. And so, you know, when we see this encounter with Nicodemus, he doesn't have a lot um, to go off of that we have again later on in the accounts of the gospel, you know, in the gospel accounts. So let's keep that in mind, but we know enough because we're about to, as we just read, and we're going to look at, dive into and look into a little bit more, um, you know, clearly as to what Nicodemus was asking Jesus based on what information he, he had about him. So let's dive in and let's look at these things one by one. So let's take verses one through two uh, real quickly. Now notice here in verse one, Nicodemus, you know, he's the Pharisee, right? It says he was a ruler of the Jews. Now, as a ruler in the Jewish Sanhedrin, which is a group of about 70 men who acted as overseers of the domestic and religious affairs of the Jewish people. So you got to put that in perspective and understand what this whole Jewish Sanhedrin was about. And so Nicodemus is a part of that group of 70 men who act as overseers. Now, Nicodemus was most acquainted with the law. And the prophecies regarding the Messiah, these men were brilliant. They had the law memorized. They had what we would refer to as the Old Testament practically memorized. Many of them did. Now, Nicodemus is later mentioned in John chapter 7, verses 50 through 51, where he comes to the defense of Jesus, we, we see later on, which gives an indication that in this encountership that we're reading about today on this podcast in John 3, is that, that Nicodemus became a believer, clearly, because then when we see from John 7, we then see in John chapter 19, now notice that John is the only of the Gospels to really kind of show this conversion story of Nicodemus, which I find it very fascinating. And he does that with certain people in the Gospel of John, and Nicodemus is one of the early ones. And then we also see in John chapter 19, verses 39 through 40, when he helps Joseph of Arimathea bury one of his one of his colleagues in the Sanhedrin buried Jesus. So now you have this ruler of the Jewish Sanhedrin, very very well respected individual, a masterful speaker and individual in the law, and he comes to Jesus by night. Now perhaps Nicodemus feared what others would think if he visited Jesus during the day. 
Uh, we know um, we know here in the passages of Scripture that Jesus in, uh, clearly embraced him, that there was a level of respect because he says here in verse 2, you, we know uh, you are a teacher. Notice he, did, he didn't say that I know. My, my, my buddies back at the Sanhedrin, they may not know. They may not be convinced. But he says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Now, the term teacher that Nicodemus uses here is one who instructs. Now, Nicodemus doesn't know necessarily how to label Jesus, but he does recognize that there's something significant and pretty powerful about Jesus himself. And remember, Sanhedrin didn't authorize Jesus's ministry. Sanhedrin had issues with John the Baptist, who says prepare, who was preparing the way for the coming Messiah, who labeled Jesus as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. So they're wrestling through this. So there's probably some confusion. He gives them respect that you're one who instructs. Um, Jesus wasn't trained by them. But he does perform signs that can only come from God because this word that um, Nicodemus uses here about know is the Greek word oida, which means to fully know. So he's saying we totally know, if you will, that you are the, a teacher from God. So Nicodemus points out that he and others, without a doubt, recognize that Jesus is from God. But the question here is to what extent? Because again, they believe that they're... Their Sanhedrin, their gathering of these religious leaders were from God because they kept to the law and their father was Abraham. So to what extent? Now, as I mentioned earlier, the question um, about John the Baptist, you know, who baptized Jesus and was calling people to repentance, to what level, to what degree, to what authority we see later on when Jesus challenged these religious leaders that were part of Nicodemus's fold. You know, what authority did John the Baptist do the baptism? And remember, they got stuck in this Socratic method of Jesus where he said, you know, if you can't answer it, because he said, we don't know. They didn't know. The reason why they didn't want to answer it, because if they said, well, he, it came from God, he was a prophet of God. Well, what did John the Baptist have to say about Jesus? That he was not just a prophet, he was the son of God. So they couldn't Authori they couldn't authorize that publicly and lay claim to that because if they did, then it would validate the claims of Jesus. Therefore, it would point to the fact that this these religious leaders uh, were false and they couldn't do that. So John the Baptist was a unique character. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, who publicly uh, is identified as the Lamb of God. So you can imagine that the Sanhedrin had a lot of questions about Jesus. Could you imagine the discussions that they were having at this time as Jesus was starting his Galilean ministry? And so I think it's pretty neat that Nicodemus uh, pursues Jesus early on in his ministry, that he had questions. And so what did he do? He says, I'm going to go get the answers from the man himself. So that's pretty cool. Now, I want to make mention before we go on from here. Now, many rabbis, it's important to understand also in this context, again, how they were thinking through things. Many rabbis taught at this time that the Messiah would come and he would reign supreme on the earth, making the Jews be preeminent over their oppressors. Remember, they were being oppressed by the Roman rule at the time. Now, the focus was a new kingdom on earth. That's what they were pursuing. They were making sure the temple was good. They were offering their sacrifices and the Messiah would come and then they would continue to worship at the temple. And again, their oppressors would become enslaved to them, not like in a, in a 
messed up sense. But again, as I mentioned earlier, they would become preeminent over their, their oppressors. So the Jews believed that because they followed Abraham and Moses and they take the teachings of Abraham and Moses and what they were set out to try to accomplish, that their people, the Jewish people, would usher in this eternal reign on earth from the Messiah. But here's the thing that we're going to get into as we start unpacking this born-again terminology that's used by Jesus to this religious leader. Jesus didn't come to establish, as we know, a kingdom on earth in his first advent. Jesus came to offer new life, not establish a theocracy on earth in his first arrival. So that's important to put in perspective here because I think Nicodemus probably came with that angle as well, saying, okay, well, if you are this Messiah and I search the scriptures and maybe some of the things from your birth, from the proclamation, from how we heard you were born, you know, to the wedding feast in Cana, to what John the Baptist was saying about you. I mean, we know that you're a teacher from God, but to what extent are you are you going to be establishing this kingdom? If so, I want to be in on it. So there's a probably a lot of that. So notice now as you jump to verse 3, this is now verses 3 through 8. We're talking about what does it mean to be born again? So in verse 3, it says, unless one is born again. So immediately Jesus jumps out and says, um, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus gets right down to the heart of what Nicodemus was seeking. He didn't fully understand who Jesus is because he wasn't born again. This this terminology being born again means to experience a complete and total change in one's life. And not just in their life, but in their way of life as it ought to be. See, Jesus was referring to a new birth spiritually, uh, almost like producing something without birth that comes, you know, that comes from above. And I'll put it this way, what Jesus was getting at was, and he's telling this to a brilliant mind like Nicodemus, he says, being born again, having this new birth, this new way of life does not come from your manufactured legalistic understanding of paper, of the law, the scrolls, the things that you guys have compiled. It's, it's not what the temple can provide the concrete place where you go to offer sacrifices. This new birth, being born again, you can, because notice what he says. He says, you will not be able to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So again, Nicodemus in their mindset as they're teaching their people through the synagogues and the temple was the Messiah will come and establish a physical reign on earth when he comes. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven spiritually, first and foremost, this new birth. And if you go back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, where Paul says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You don't, you can't take away this new birth once you have it. That's the power of salvation through Christ. Now, notice in verse 5, he's, he's ta- he starts talking about being born of water and spirit. Now, for the Jews, water represented purification. But Jesus took it way beyond that, just like about being born again. And just like about this physical kingdom, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. So, this aspect of water and spirit, Jesus is taking it to a whole different level to show the fulfillment that is going to come through the power of the Holy Spirit in his ministry. If you go back to Ezekiel 36, this is where we find this, 25 through 27. Now, remember, here you have Nicodemus as Jesus is talking to him. 
You can imagine Nicodemus, as smart and brilliant as he is, referring back to many passages of Scripture to try to understand when Jesus is talking about this new birth and talking about water and talking about the Spirit. And so in Ezekiel 36, notice the words that are used by the prophet Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle, this is when he gives the prophetic word from God. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Isn't that awesome? So essentially when Jesus was talking about this water and spirit, it was prophetic of the cleansing power, this new heart, this new spirit. He would remove this stone from their flesh and give them a new spirit within him. His own spirit would come in them. That's powerful. Now, another thing is fascinating. This comes from the commentary from, from Dr. Barclay. He writes, all over the New Testament, this idea of rebirth or recreation occurs um, all over the place. In 1 Peter 1.3, Peter speaks of being born anew by God's great mercy. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 22, uh, 23 speaks of being born anew from an imperishable seed. James 1.18 speaks of God bringing us forth by the word of truth. Titus 3.5 talks about the washing of regeneration. Romans 6, 1 through 11 speaks of dying with Jesus and rising anew. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2 speaks of new believers as newborn babes. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 speaks of us being a new creation in Jesus. Galatians 6, 15 talks about how Jesus uh, has made us a new creation. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says that the new man is created after God in righteousness. And the last one here is in Romans, Barclay put, points out, says that at the beginning of our Christian life, we are like children. We are a new creation, Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. So this is the level of not just conversation, but insight that Jesus is giving this seeker. He knows the scriptures but yet he is seeing the word in the flesh face to face. And I love the fact that Nicodemus with these questions, who does he go to? He goes directly to Jesus for answers. Now, now we get into this 9 through 21 in this chapter to understand, to kind of unpack what Jesus is getting at with these heavenly things. Now, as I stated earlier, Nicodemus, as it's, it references, John puts in verse 1, that he is a, a ruler of the Jews, okay? So he is this overseer in the Sanhedrin. But guess what? In this passage, we're seeing Nicodemus encounters the real overseer, the real teacher. See, Jesus teaches Nicodemus the meaning behind all that he has learned from his Jewish scriptures. Now, remember, what is one of the jobs of, of Nicodemus? And the rabbis that are out there that essentially reported to the Jewish Sanhedrin was to teach the people the Jewish scriptures to interpret them. And later on in the in the gospel accounts and in, in, in a few future podcasts, I was actually just working on some future ones um, a few days ago. And I'm excited to the one in Luke chapter four, because this is where we're going to be seeing kind of the custom of Jewish men and with the local rabbi in the local synagogue, how they constructed the um, their services on the day of, of the Sabbath. And so 
this speaks to this level right here of Nicodemus at night coming to the ultimate teacher who's teaching him. Again, Jesus is untrained. He's a carpenter. You know, he's got um, a blended family. You know, Joseph is not his biological father. That It's not making sense to them. So he was basically an outcast and he was born in Bethlehem. So here, Nicodemus is learning, though, from this untrained rabbi, so to speak, but yet he's the son of God and he's explaining to him heavenly things. He's making sense of things. Because notice here in verse 12, he says, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus did not understand, see, the true meaning of the conversion of what he was talking about because as I stated earlier, he wasn't born again. Remember, Peter described this as becoming the partakers of the divine nature in 2 Peter 1.4. So Jesus is introducing this new terminology that fulfills the Old Testament, but this is new to Nicodemus. This would eventually come, and what Jesus was attempting to do is share these future truths through him and what he was going to do on the cross and then on the third day rise from the dead. So he was trying to introduce these future truths to Nicodemus, who was sincere in his questioning. So now in verse 13, notice Jesus says that no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, Jesus is now pointing to his what? His divinity. And as I look back in certain passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, particularly when we looked at Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27 about the water and the regeneration and the cleansing, Jesus is now referring, I believe, to Daniel 7, verse 3, when he's talking about, you know, this person that no one has ascended to heaven except he who descended. Well, who is that? It's Jesus himself. And is pointing back to Daniel 7, verse 3, where the prophet had this vision, I believe, of Jesus, where it says, quote, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. And was presented before him. That is the magnificent power and glory and majesty of Christ. And so the words about the kingdom of heaven that are being spoken to Nicodemus, Jesus has the authority to speak these words because he is the fulfillment of them. He is the ancient of days. He is the son of man. Now notice he then gets into the story of Moses who lifted up a bronze serpent for the people to look to so they wouldn't die in verse 14 where he says the sun must be lifted up. So then he's also going back to a particular encountership that Moses had with God in a representation with his bronze serpent. What this was a foreshadowing of was the, of the cross. See, when when they were lifting up this bronze serpent to, to advance the, the army, uh, on behalf of Moses to bring, you know, claim to claim victory for God. Moses was the leader and he was interceding on behalf of the people. And as long as he did that, and they looked to that um, bronze serpent that Moses lifted up, they would, they would have victory. This is a representation of grace. As long as you and I live and we are fighting our battles, like right now, I don't know what you're going through. But we know in this life that we live, in this fallen world that we live, we have various different trials. We have the enemy out there. We have temptation. And there's a lot of regret that many of us carry from time to time in our lives. And so it, it is a battle. It is a struggle. But we have to be reminded, as Jesus was telling Nicodemus here, the sun will be lifted up. Now, of course, this is past tense. We know that he's been, that he died and that he's been lifted up. 
And so what Jesus is saying now in verse, and when he says in verse 15, and so if you believe in that, literally he's saying, if you have complete reliance and faith, which I pray, friend, that you do, because only through Christ we can overcome. No matter what you're faced with, Jesus overcame the grave, right? Sin, death has no victory, has no sting over us. So if you have complete reliance and faith in him, you will have eternal life. That's what John 3.15 says. And now verse 19, and of course you looked at verse 16 and 17, that famous passage of scripture that you believe in the son. Because notice in verse 19 now, he says, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world. So this son of God, who is bringing this message of being born again, also brings judgment. You see, as sinners, we naturally would like to stay in the darkness rather than be in the light. Maybe that's similar to your story or you know of a lot of people right now as you're listening to me go through John 3 with you, that there are a lot of people who still to this day, no matter what type of encountership, no matter what type of conversation, no matter how many testimonies or times you've went through scripture with them, trying to prove from the God's existence to the reliability of scripture to the case for the, for the cross and the resurrection, they reject it. They don't want, they don't want to leave the darkness. They don't want to, they don't want the light to expose them in the darkness. And it's troubling, isn't it? My friend, it's hard. I mean, as I'm, as I'm reading this with you right now, there are many friends and there are, there are some family members that I pray for, my wife and I pray for every single day, and they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They don't want to have anything, some, you know, to be frank, with even us because, because of our walk with Christ and because of what we do for a living. Um, so, you know, when we see Jesus reminding Nicodemus and explaining to him that the light has come into the world, we're reminded as Christians, the darkness that we once lived in and how Christ saved us from the darkness and how we are as Christians to walk in the light. So we are to be thankful for Christ's atoning sacrifice, that he has made a way for us to be reunited with a holy God who the Bible says is wrapped in the garments of light, Psalm 104 verse 2, that it's God's truth that exposes our sinful nature And also, though, here's the great thing, as we are exposed in our sinful nature, that he offers us a second chance. He gives us grace. And so as I conclude, as we look at this encountership with Nicodemus and Jesus, may we we be reminded in 1 John 1, 6 through 7, as John wrote to the church, if we say we have fellowship with Jesus while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. My friend, may you have fellowship with Jesus and you, I pray, be the light that God has called you to be to the rest of the world. Thanks for tuning in. God bless you. I will see you on our next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.